Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. We need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way. And then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place. Um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. Welcome to the Gardens Podcast. This message titled The Power to Forgive Sin was given by Bill Doctrine and is the eighth in our series, The Kingdom. Well, we are uh, continuing our journey through uh, the Gospel of Mark, uh, probably one of the, one of the easiest uh, kind of Gospels in a way to kind of get into from a 21st century perspective. It moves very, very quickly. Um, Mark's favorite word, like we've said, is immediately. So everything happens fast, and he is just kind of relentless in his uh, in his um, presentation of the gospel. Uh, we're in the second chapter. It seems that I'm I'm loud. So yeah, can you turn me down just a little bit? Thanks. Um, and th- this is one of the craziest stories in the gospel. It's early on in Jesus's ministry. He has uh, spent some time just kind of unpacking and defining uh, a, a little bit uh, what it means for him uh, to to be the Messiah that he wants to be, uh, uh, rather than the one that everybody's expecting or wanting him to be. And he is continually going to be pushing back against expectations uh, of people kind of forcing him into the the frame of what they're 
they're wanting him to be. Jesus, by the way, still has that problem today where, where we among the rest of the world are constantly pushing and, 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 and probing and wanting him to fit our expectations of who he is, is going to be and who he's supposed to be and what he's supposed to do and what he's supposed to do for us. So you'll notice Jesus um, is an equal opportunity offender. He has no problem saying both to his disciples, particularly to his disciples, but also to the people who aren't yet his disciples, no, I'm not that, I'm this. Or I'm not going to tell you the answer to the question you want. Instead, I want you to answer this question. And this is one of those stories where Jesus takes advantage of a situation and I want you to notice how he manages this scenario differently than how he might have if he wanted to dance to the tune that was being called for him by the popular culture, all right? This is a familiar story. If you've had any kind of background in, in church before, you've probably heard this one in one of its many forms. Here it is, John, uh, Mark chapter 2, verse 1. Jesus is, is back in Capernaum after several days of ministry. Uh, and, and somebody heard that he was at home. Uh, what he means by that is that he is probably staying at Peter's house. His home was still in Nazareth, but since he left there and declared, uh, he's going to fix this up in, in the third chapter of, of Mark, where, where he's going to require allegiance to the kingdom of God, to the will of God, more than to family connection. So he is already in the process of leaving home and all that that meant for him. So he has been staying probably at the home of Peter, uh, at, where, where kind of a base for him on the north side of, that, of the lake of Galilee is. So this is where he is. Um, and you're going to see that Peter's probably not too thrilled about the outcome. Several days afterwards, it, people were hearing that he was home. Many of them were gathered together so that there was no longer any room, even near the door. So he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. They were unable to get to Jesus because of the crowd. So they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, My son, my child, your sins are forgiven. But there were some of the scribes sitting there. They were reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were thinking that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your minds, in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise and take up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he turned and said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, take up your pallet, and go home. And he arose and immediately took up his pallet and went out in the sight of all so that all were amazed and were glorifying God saying, we've never seen anything like this. It's an amazing story. 
Uh, just, just one of those things that you just say, wow, where's the cinematographer now? This is, this is something you want to post on YouTube, right? If you've been there, pull out the flip camera, catch it on your iPhone, and post it before midnight. It's an amazing, an amazing story. But I need you to kind of sink into this a little bit because Jesus is doing something here more than healing a paralytic, which is by itself worth the price of admission. Jesus thinks he's, he's on to something more than just this healing. And I want you to notice how he uses it because this kind of helps us understand how Jesus uses things like this throughout the remainder of the gospel. He'd come back home after a few days of ministry. He was at probably at Peter's house. And, and when people heard they were, they were there, remember, Capernaum is a, is a village of about 10,000 people. So it's not a small uh, kind of a blip on the radar. That's a good-sized community at that time. And when people heard that Jesus was there, they, 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 they come in. A house at that time had, had three or four what were viewed as public rooms where, where sometimes meals would take place and community would gather together and so on and so forth. Then there were some, some private rooms at the center that only the immediate family would be uh, given access to. It is to those kind of private rooms that Jesus refers when in teaching um, on prayer. He says, go to your prayer closet. We've translated it. It really means go to the private rooms, go to the rooms that are only available for the family to pray. But then there is this courtyard, this larger space that had kind of a, kind of a courtyard up front and then a, a kind of a living room, a front room. If you grew up in the Midwest, you know what a front room is. It's the kind of the room where people come in uh, and are, are, are entertained. Family doesn't typically go there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? A front room? Okay. So you got that kind of an idea there. So here's the deal. Jesus is in this front room, in this, in this kind of still public space. And then I, even out into the courtyard listening through windows that could be opened or shut with pieces of fabric or cloth or sometimes uh, battened with wood uh, is, a, is a crowd. So, so they're listening to him. And uh, just imagine the scenario. Here's Jesus standing, surrounded, uh, as, as close as you can possibly get to people. Because remember, we're not dealing with 21st century North America with three feet of, of political space between us, Right. We're dealing with a, a, a first century scenario in which I'm really frustrating him right now. <laughs> no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> um, but so uh, uh, now that would freak me out. So um, but you have that scenario going on and 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 it just is wall to wall. People are holding each other up. If somebody faints, nobody's going to notice. They're so close. You're going to be held up. Ever been in a crowd like that? Uh, you, you, maybe when, when, when Dodger Stadium lets out, or, or better, the Hollywood Bowl, right? And you got to go under that tunnel, right? Anybody been in that? And then anybody been in there where the lights go out? Oh, it's really scary. That's completely irrelevant to my sermon, but it's just one of those things where you just kind of, you know, you so you have this scenario. Now, this is good for talking. Jesus, people are leaning in. It's what do you, what do you say? He is giving them, in a, in a, in a, you don't get this in the, in the translation there, but he's giving them the word. So he is, he is speaking the gospel to them. They've never heard anybody talk like this. Never. 
heard anybody talk like this, and certainly not in a place like this. You know, they're, they're anticipating going to synagogue. They're anticipating going to where they have to come to hear. But here Jesus is in their territory. He's in somebody's house. He's in the house of somebody they've grown up with. They know Peter. They know Andrew. They know the fishing business that has built this house. They know Peter's mother-in-law. They know these people. And here is this amazing rabbi who is not waiting for us to come to him, but has come to Peter's house. He's there. I know Peter has got room for us. I know that there's space for us there. Oh, wait, there's more people. Let's just keep packing in. And so from the, you, you get the imagery here, right, of what's going on. So they're passing the word along. Jesus is proclaiming this wonderful, amazing good news. The word is being taught. And then what? Well, people have started to hear what Jesus is capable of, and four men who have a friend who has been paralyzed, who has been paralyzed for, for much most of his life, we don't have any sense of the condition of his paralysis. We don't know what caused it. We know nothing of that except just imagine what it's like for somebody who has been paralyzed to have four people who care this much about him to, to wrap him up and say, we're going to see if something can happen here. Right? So they're picking him up on his pallet on this on this mat almost that he would have. So if you can imagine just this kind of guy... Pallet is a polite word. It's just kind of a thick mat. It's not like wood. So they've wrapped him up in this thing. And they are hauling him, the four of them, one on each corner, uh, are carrying him to Jesus. And, And they can't get in. The courtyard, the outer courtyard of Peter's house, is so jammed that they could not get through if there was only one of them, let alone four of them, with a, with a guy wrapped up in, in a mat. So they <laughs> climb up on the roof and pass this guy up to... There's no stairs. This is not like a sunroof. This is, this is a, there's a, a parapet, right? And then there's a flat surface. And these guys are... So they're, they're handing this guy up onto the roof. And it's like one of those things. You ever kind of make up the plan as you're going along? And, and you're, just, you're not thinking it through all the way to the end. You're just thinking through the next step. Anybody found yourself in a situation? like? Well, that, I think that's what these guys are doing. They don't know what else to do. Here's healing in that room, 25 people away. We can't get through. What can we do? Let's parachute him down from the ceiling. Like, we're going to get him up in there, right? There's there's no hole in the ceiling. No problem. We can make a hole in the ceiling. Thatched roof, mud, shrubs, bushes, trees, right? Mudded over. You you get the... This isn't a stone house. This is a house that somebody's put together with plaster of Paris. Right? And so they're they're getting... Did anybody bring, like, a pickaxe? How are they unpacking this? You know how they're unpacking it. So desperate are they to get their friend to Jesus that they are clawing at that roof with their bare hands. The, look at the word that's used here. If you can see it in verse 4. They, they removed the roof above him. 
when they had dug an opening. So you've got about 12 inches of this material, organic material interwoven with mud, covered over with a kind of a, of a plaster type that would shed the rain. And they are clawing at this and ripping at this, I'm sure, with their bare hands. So desperate are they to get their friend to this man down here before he leaves. Please notice, they did not wait for him to finish talking. They were not waiting for the next scene in the movie to unfold. This was their chance. And they were going to take whatever steps they had to take to make this happen. Now, I want you to be inside the room for a minute. What's happening to you as a listener to Jesus as the roof begins to come apart over your head? I'm suspecting that in the first century, gravity was still fairly reliable at the time, which means what? The roof is not all going up. Some of it's coming down. So you... you Are you starting to get this? You're standing here and then you're... And you're still listening to Jesus. And I I, I don't know, because the text doesn't say, but I've got to think that Jesus has got the biggest smile on his face. His eyes are lighting up and he's just continuing on talking as if nothing was happening, right? Don't you think that's... Wouldn't that be like him? And so everybody's getting freaked out and everybody's panicking. And then all of a sudden, you see a face peering through the hole in the roof. It's like, that's not a roof anymore with the hole in it, right? And they open this wide enough, a big enough hole, that they can tip their friend. He's not complaining. This is one of the advantages of paralysis. Sorry. Uh, and, and, they're, and they're just dropping him down in that hole. They're, they're, they're kind of, because no, we, we, you know, ropes, no ropes. We don't have ropes. Nobody thought to bring ropes. So what are they doing? They're hanging on to his, fr- and they're lowering him, hoping somebody down below will catch their friend in the last stage of, 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 of the thing. Now, by this time, perhaps the crowd has begun to move to the side. And here he is, lying on the ground, covered with roof material, four, four pace faces peering through, through the hole. I just, I just love this image. And Jesus stops his teaching and says, to the man, paralyzed, lying on the ground in front of him, everybody bated breath, four friends looking over what used to be the roof, and he says to him, your sins are forgiven. And then he looks up like he's done something important. And what's the response of the crowd? What are his friends thinking? What is everybody who's got their flip phone out thinking? That's it? Your sins are forgiven? No, no. 
We didn't bring him here to get his sins forgiven. You can see the four faces up there looking at each other like, what? Because that, to them, would have been a disappointment, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Wouldn't it have been to you? You get the idea that Jesus is playing a little bit here. There are in the crowd some scribes, some scholars, who are kind of sent to check him out. You'll notice here we haven't gotten fully to the um, level of the Pharisees yet, so they're just sending scribes to check him out. They're trying to figure out what he's thinking, what he's believing, what his gospel is, what his teaching is, so they're here, they're listening. And, and, and they don't say anything, but in their hearts they're thinking, who is this man? To, only God can forgive sin. How were sins forgiven in that culture? It was through laborious, sacrificial mechanisms in which God acted to receive the death of an animal, the blood of an animal, on behalf of the person who had sinned so that, so that he could forgive sin. We don't have a guard that just arbitrarily forgives sins on a whim, do we? Much less a man who stands and says, your sins be forgiven, as if because he said so, they were. This is blasphemy. This is craziness. You don't deal with sin this way. And Jesus is aware, whether supernaturally or just knowing how the game was going to be played, we don't know. But he is aware of what they're thinking. And I love this next part because he demonstrates himself to be a better rabbi than they are. He uses an argument that in rabbinic literature is called kal vahomer. It means from the light to the heavy. It means if the lesser thing is true, then the greater thing must also be true. If the small thing is true, then the greater, the large thing is true. Because notice what he does now. He says, uh, you, great scholars, tell me, why are you reasoning in your heart about this? Let's, let's settle this thing once and for all. Here we are in a public place, looking around, seeing all of these people who are witnesses. In a place like this, which is easier to say? To say, your sins be forgiven? or take up your bed and walk. Just discuss that amongst yourselves for a few minutes and come back to me when you have the answer. Which is easier to say in a setting like that? Sins are forgiven. Why? There's no demonstration. There's no capacity. We don't, you can't prove anything with that kind of word. So you can say, his sins are forgiven, have a nice day. Everybody's out of there without any demonstration of capacity to whether those sins have been actually forgiven or not. And then he says, okay, good, good answer. Now, let's give this a shot. So that you may know that the Son of Man, his favorite designation for himself, so that you may know the Son of Man, so that you may know that I have the capacity, have the power, have the ability, have the authority to forgive sins on earth, he turns to the paralytic and says to him, take up your mat and walk. 
The question is, which is easier to say, your sins be forgiven? Which is easier to do? If I can do this, surely I can do this. If I can heal the paralytic, I can heal by the forgiving of sins. This is the lighter thing. This is the easier thing. It's the harder thing to say, but the easier thing to do. What's it going to cost Jesus to heal the sin sickness of this man? In three years, it's going to cost him his life. What did it cost him to heal his body sickness? Nothing. It was just the exercise of his compassionate heart. Didn't even break a sweat. In three years, what he said is going to cause him to sweat blood. Do you see where he's going on this? This is a critical thing. Now, here's the problem. Here's the problem. The degree to which we believe or understand in the nature of sin is the degree to which we would have been disappointed with the same crowd when he just healed him or just forgave his sins. Because in our culture, which is easier to say? Same thing. And here's what, here's what I think Jesus is after. The more you have wrestled with what, the sin, what sin is, what sin does, what it is about, and I want to take a few minutes and unpack this, the more you wrestle with that, the more you realize how hard it is, so to speak, for Jesus to have said what he said to that man. I don't know where I went. Am I back? Good. Uh, it's going to cost him his life to practice what he preaches. Now, I need you to sit with this for a minute. How seriously do we take sin? I need you to sit with it, because this is a critical point that I'm going to, I think Jesus is after here. Whether we're in difficult circumstances or situations or not, we want our physical healing more than we want our souls made whole. We want our marriages restored more than we want life from above. We want our kids to turn out well more than we want sins forgiven. Do we play that calculus? Think about, think about situations and circumstances. I, I, I talk to a lot of people often about marriages and about kids and about drug issues and about um, uh, uh, sexual addictions and other kinds of addictions and all, all kinds of things. People want to come to Jesus so that they can get their problem fixed. rather than so that they can get their life reordered. Even if that means they're still stuck with their problem. Because here's the deal. Jesus felt that when he said to this man, your sins be forgiven, even though he was still a paralytic at that time, he had received the greatest gift he could have possibly ever received. Why? Because Jesus understands what sin does to people that paralysis never can do to people. 
So the question for me, for us, is, is do we get how big a deal sin is? It's an old-fashioned word. It's not a word that we hear a lot, think about, talk about much anymore. But I need you to take a few minutes and just think about this. Have we negotiated a detente with the sins in our life? Have we, have we built a border around the weed garden? Have we said to the cancer that is our sinfulness, thus far and no farther, I'll allow you this, but not this? Have we said at a fundamental level, you know, there are certain egregious things that I just will never do, but there's a whole bunch of less egregious things that I'm willing to kind of flex and float on. And I'm not talking specifically about behaviors. To be honest with you, the behavioral stuff is the stuff that's the easiest to deal with. It's been months since I murdered anybody. Right? Because we, I mean, it doesn't take very long to figure out what it means to be polite, to be mannerly, to be nice. And we think that once we start, once we get all of those, you know, stray cattle kind of penned in, then we're going to be okay. And we can, we can lie if it's necessary. We can be proud if it's necessary. We can be, we can be, uh, uh, we can gossip. We can do all kinds of things. Because that's just the way of that's just the way it works, isn't it? That's just the way it works. I, I was talking to somebody this week on on the on the phone, um, and and uh, uh, he was justifying his emotional affair with a woman who was not his wife. He was talk, had been talking to her uh, uh, over a series of things. Um, uh, that, that ought properly to be reserved for the relationship between a husband and a wife. And it did not even occur to him that this was sin that would destroy him to say nothing of his marriage. Sin is not God's problem. He's dealt with sin. Sin will kill us. And the more we negotiate a truce, the more we say to the cancer that is eating away at the health of our souls, well, just a little bit's okay. To that degree, we miss the point of what Jesus is saying here. We want him to heal the consequences of our sin while allowing us to maintain our sin. This is hard, isn't it? Are you getting this, though? Because I, 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 this is something that I've been really praying about. If the garden is going to make and be a transformative community in this city, we need to deal seriously with the stuff that Jesus deals seriously with. And I don't want to shame anybody. That's not my business. But if the Holy Spirit is starting to say to you, can we talk about this? Can, can we talk about 3 o'clock in the morning when nobody else is up? Can we talk about that? Can we talk about that secret account? Can we, can we talk about that? I'm going to invite you to say, yes, Holy Spirit of the living God, we can talk about it. I'm going to take Jesus seriously. He's got the power. Here's the good news. To say to you, even this morning, 
your sins are forgiven. You need to repent based on the forgiveness of sins. That means stop doing what you're doing, but not so that you be forgiven because you have been. You, you, you catch the difference? It's huge. It's huge. It's huge. Jesus, you don't, you don't even necessarily have to be sorry. You don't even necessarily have to feel ashamed. Oh, gee, I shouldn't have done it. All you got to do is have this awareness that God has said, we can't have this anymore. This is not what I need from you. This is not you. This is destroying you. This is how you're blowing yourself up. Can we talk about this? And you, even though you don't like it, can say to the Holy Spirit, can say to Jesus, we can talk about this. I'm willing to put this on the line. And hear him say to you, that sin has been forgiven. You can walk out of this place this morning forgiven. It's amazing the life that that creates for us. So I'm going to ask Pete and the team to come back. I don't know what that's going to look like for you. Some of you may want somebody to pray with you for that. Um, some of you may want to find your way to the crosses and the tables of communion. Uh, we have a number of folks, prayer people uh, and, and elders, who will be happy to pray with you. Some of you may just need to say, right where you are, dear God, I get it. Forgive me. Now, if that's lip service, that's all you're going to get. But if it's the expression of your heart, if that's really where you're at, if you're really finally ready to step away and to put in place the structures of wholeness rather than the structures of self-sabotage, he can do that. He can enable that. And you can walk out of this place this morning forgiven. So we're just going to spend some time and I'm going to invite you, if you want to go to one of the crosses, if you want somebody to, near you to just pray with you, um, if you want to, to uh, uh, deal with this with Jesus, uh, I'm okay with that. But whatever we do, don't put second order things first. Don't put, put your need of a job or your need of healing or your need of, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a restoration of a relationship. Don't put those things, which are secondary things, before the first thing. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to hear other messages from The Garden, or if you would like to find out more about The Garden Church, check out our website at thegardenlb.org. Space for your presence to dwell and to move.